All right, we're going to begin a brand new series that I'm calling Diamonds of Hope for Your Darkest Days. Diamonds of Hope for Your Darkest Days. We're going to be ministering on the subject of hope. You know, the Bible says that our God is a God of hope. He's not a God of hopelessness. He's a God of hopefulness. And I got to tell you, I need hope to survive. And I want to read uh, out of Jeremiah chapter 31 and verses 18 through 21. And then let's just talk about the first aspect of hope that we want to deal with, and that is no matter what you're experiencing, where you've been, what has happened to you, what you feel like right now, if you're in your darkest hour, if it looks like there is no hope, our God is a restoring God, and He's a God of hope. So we're going to talk about the God who restores. Jeremiah 31 verse 18 says, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. You have chastised me, and I was chastised like an untrained bull. Restore me, Ephraim prays, and I will return. For you are the Lord my God. Surely after my turning, I repented. And after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated. Because I bore the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? God asks. For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. Set up signposts. Now, this is what God is saying to Ephraim. Set up signposts. Make landmarks. Set your heart toward the highway, the way in which you went in the past. Turn back, O virgin of Israel. Turn back to these, your cities. Now, in just a moment, we're going to deal with what was taking place in the history of Ephraim and how our God is a restoring God. But you know, I believe so much in hope that I've written about hope, and I want to just delve into, just for a little bit, the book that I wrote last, The Windshield is Bigger Than the Rearview Mirror, and I have a little section here that I called Prisoners of Hope. And I want to read a little bit of this to you because this really speaks my heart about hope more than anything I can think of at the moment. I write this, I have a confession to make. I am a prisoner of hope. I did not always know this the way I do now. It took some deep valleys, harsh trials, fiery ovens, and long seasons of groping in the dark to reveal that I am a hope junkie at heart. There were times I wished it were not so, times when hope seemed almost to be a foe. Hope can actually bring a certain frustration when you really want to let go and fall off the face of the earth and just give up. But hope just will not let you do it. In the face of terrible odds when no one would place his bets on you, hope always does. When you are down for the count and everyone else has walked away, hope doesn't. Hope is a stubborn friend. In Psalms 27 verse 13, David writes about the tenacity of hope. He says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When you are in a pit and you see no way out, hope whispers, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Don't put up the white flag just yet, hope cries. The writer of Hebrews calls hope 
the anchor of our soul, the anchor that hope drops into the waters of turmoil, is its undying belief in the goodness of the Lord. Hope believes that the yet unseen hand of God is working for our good and we will rejoice in his plan when we see it. Hope is the most hopeful optimist on earth. It keeps us sane and steady in times of trial. When you see someone filled with optimism, bet on it, you can track the source of their optimism to hope. Optimism is hope's child. Hope looks beyond the darkness of today and always sees a brighter tomorrow. It expects the Almighty to intrude into the nightmares of life by turning things around in a way that makes you dance and shout with joy. I, for one, cannot live without hope. I am telling you the truth. I would rather set up shop in a cardboard box on a downtown street corner than live without hope. I cannot fathom a life not graced with the hope of hope. A hopeless life is one of undiluted hell. And that again is a quote out of my book, The Windshield is Bigger Than the Rearview Mirror. And I read that to you today because I want us to just begin to get a grip and a feel for the power and the necessity of hope. We can live without a lot of things, but you and I cannot live without hope. Hope is like spiritual oxygen. Now the verses that I read out of Jeremiah chapter 31 are referring to the northern tribes of Israel who Jeremiah calls Ephraim. Ephraim is going into exile because of their sins. They've made some big mistakes and finally God has said, I can't take anymore. I've got to chastise you. Their sins have filled the cup, so to speak. And Ephraim has backslidden from God worse than any of the others, as a matter of fact. Even while being carried into exile, God, through Jeremiah, predicts their restoration. And this was deeply touching to me, because here they are being carried off into Babylonian captivity for 70 years because of sin in their life. They've really blown it. They've missed out on the promises of God. They've squandered His grace. They've walked away from His blessing. They have sinned in full face of bright light. And even while they're being taken away, God speaks to them. And I want to take this text and show you what God's heart towards the backslider, the strayer, the prodigal son, that one who feels like you've made too many mistakes. And that's why I'm calling this series Diamonds of Hope for Your Darkest Days. Because, you know, it's a dark day when you realize you've gotten away from God. It's a dark day when you realize that somehow, step by step, inch by inch, incrementally over time, you've gone down that slippery slope of walking away from God and you wake up and you realize, oh no, I've made terrible, terrible mistakes. And I think that when we fail, failure has a way of running a number on you like nothing else can. I can think of many things that take place in a person's life that causes them to stray, to walk away from God. I used to wonder about this, but over time, over many, many years, I've seen that there are usually a few things that cause somebody like Ephraim, like some of you listening to me right now, to walk away from God. Here's a few of them. An offense they don't handle scripturally. You know, the Bible talks about the power of an offense. The Bible talks about the root of bitterness. It talks about if we don't deal with an offense, an offense will deal with us. The word offense means to stumble, to trip, to fall. 
somebody says something, somebody does something, we get hurt, and that hurt begins to fester, and that hurt begins to eventually take us away from our fellowship with God and our fellowship with the church, and we don't handle that offense scripturally, we don't forgive, we don't go to the person and make it right, and when we do that, when we behave that way, that offense has the power to take us away from God. As a matter of fact, an offense can be the door that we open into a very, very dark world. I've learned this about the enemy. The enemy never really shows you what he's got in mind. You never really see what's on the other side of a sin. Only once you've committed it and walked in it do you begin to see what that sin had attached to it. And this is what an offense can do. So an offense can lead people away from God. Lust for other things regularly leads people away from God. We make like the prodigal son and we say, well, you know what? There's got to be something better over there. There's got to be something for me in the far country. I've always found it interesting that Jesus called the land where the prodigal son went the far country. Because when you get away from God, it's a far away place. It's the far country. And that prodigal son believed that he was missing out on life. The lust for other things drew him away, and he walked away from God. Busyness can pull us away from focusing on God, just being busy. You know, Jesus said to Mary and Martha, he looked at them and he saw that Mary was accustomed to listening to his word. She sat at his feet. She soaked in what he said. But Martha was busy and anxious and filled with stress about many things. And Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about so many things. But Mary has chosen the good part, the part that shall not be taken away from her. Though Jesus was sitting right in their living room, Martha missed the words of Jesus because of busyness. And I think many of us just trying to pay the bills, just trying to make ends meet, taking care of the kids, taking care of that 401k, getting all the shopping done, just trying to make it from 9 to 5 or 8 to 5. We come home, we eat our dinner, we turn on the TV, watch a little bit of Jay Leno, and go to bed. And busyness chokes us away from God. And then I think another thing that takes people away from God is deception. Just pure, good old, undiluted deception. Deception, the worship of some other God, the pursuit of some other thing that we come to believe is superior to seeking God. An offense, lust for other things, busyness, deception, and the list goes on. These things take us away from God. And these things are what got hold of Ephraim, lust for other things, deception, the worship of false idols, offenses, and their sin finally caused God to judge them. And now they're being carried away into Babylon. And the first thing that I see in this is there are consequences to departing from God. I'm not going to linger on this long, but I just want us to file it away in the back of our minds. There's consequences to departing from God. Ephraim is going into exile. Three words come to mind when I look at this. First, they were experiencing loss. You know, I've noticed something. When you obey God, there's always a gain. You always gain. You always gain something. You gain peace. You gain joy. You gain some blessing that God brings into your life. When you obey God, you cannot go wrong. It's a win-win situation. It's a win-win decision. When you obey God, you gain. 
But invariably, when we sin, we lose. There is loss. We lose peace. We lose spiritual miles. We lose joy. We lose our reputations. There's always a loss. And here is Ephraim being carried away to Babylon. They've lost their homeland. They've lost their homes. They had lost, many of them, their families. Such loss. Such terrible loss that Jeremiah, watching them being carried away into Babylon, wept rivers of tears. And he wrote about it in the book of Lamentations. Not only loss, though, but pain. Pain. Because anytime we sin... Pain is always the result. It might be emotional pain, might be physical pain. But whatever way it manifests, you can never separate sin from pain. Ephraim was under God's chastisement. They were about to go and be under the tyranny of a foreign government, a foreign people, a foreign land. And they were in for some heartbreak. And then the third thing is regret. There is always regret following sin. God says, I heard Ephraim bemoaning himself, regret, all the regret that comes from sin. There is always regret. We think that we're biting into something that is worth having, just like Eve did, that first forbidden fruit. But oh, the regret, there's always loss, there's always pain, and there's always regret with sin. There is a high price for low living every single time. But you know, I also see here in this story that this is the good news, and this is why I'm sharing on hope. Because even in failure, even in loss, even in pain, and even in multiplied regret, the God of grace, the God of mercy is always stepping into the scene. The Bible says, where sin abounds, there you can find grace much more abounding. I see God's heart in this, that God is a restoring, merciful God. Listen to what he says to Ephraim as they are carried away in chains. I earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. And I want you to know, even if you have failed God, even if you have walked away, and maybe you're listening right now by radio, And you're driving in your car, stuck in rush hour traffic, but also stuck within yourself, within consequences for sin. I want you to know that God remembers you still. His heart yearns for you right now. And he wants to have mercy on you. And I know what I'm talking about because I've been there. It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son that we've already mentioned. Listen to what it says. Quote, Jesus is teaching now. He says this, his father saw him. From a great ways away, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. Do you see with me that the father, rather than being turned away from him, turning his back to him, scowling at him, walking away disapprovingly? No, 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 no. The father's eyes were peeled on the distant horizon, looking far, far away for any sign at all of the return of his son. And when he saw him, you know, it just takes one step, just one step 
of turning back to God. And God sees that one step. That's why there is hope in failure. That's why there is hope in your darkest hour. Because God is a restoring God. His father saw him from a great ways away, ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. Jesus could not have painted a more compassionate picture. If you're backslidden today, if your walk isn't what it used to be, the heart of God, I want you to know this, the heart of God is to restore you. He earnestly remembers you. His heart yearns for you. Take one step towards him. Just utter one small prayer up towards him and God will run for you. Now the backslidden Ephraim does three things in the process of their being restored. And I want to share these three things because I believe people are listening right now, not just here, but by radio, who need to be restored. You need to come back. You need to be brought back to your place with God. You've walked away, but there's hope. No matter what the consequences have been, there is hope. It says, first of all, that Ephraim prayed. Boy, I like that. And you know, you say, well, Pastor Jeff, you know, I'm not very good at prayer. You know, prayer is just looking up and talking to God like you would talk to somebody here in this place today. Prayer is just like talking to God. You don't have to use a these and thous and wouldas and shouldas and couldas. You don't have to sound holy or look holy. Just tell him what's on your heart. And look what Ephraim prayed. Ephraim said these words to God, restore me and I will return. Now, I got to tell you, I sense something in Ephraim. Ephraim is realizing that there is hope. Ephraim could have said, there's no hope for me. Look what we've done. We sinned so badly that God has had to send us into captivity. There's no future at all for us. But that's not what we see. Something sparked in the heart of Ephraim. It was hope. Hope was ignited in their heart. And they looked up because you couldn't pray this way unless you believed there was hope. And Ephraim prays, restore me and I will return. Ephraim realizes what anybody realizes who's been in a difficult spot. Only the grace of God can bring about change in our lives. You know, folks, there are some needles only God can thread. There are some situations only God can fix. And one of them is a soul that needs to be restored back to him. There you've got to turn yourself over to the divine surgeon whose scalpel is the Holy Spirit who operates on our soul with the word of God. And he'll go in and fix what we could never fix. Ephraim has realized our condition is bleak. We've walked away from God. But I'm believing that God can do what I can't do. God can restore me. He says, if you do what I can't do, bring change to my heart, and I'll do what I can do, I will return. You know, that's a great proposition. And God says that to you and me. Whenever we find ourselves far away from God, God says to us, you do what you can do, and that is you can return, and I'll do what I can do and what only I can do. And I'm going to bring change to your heart. You know, can I just tell you today, there's some things only God can do. Because you didn't know what you were going to get into when you began to walk away from God. You thought you were getting something great. It glittered, it glistened, it called to you. It held great promise. But now, just like Eve, 
now that you've bitten the fruit, you realize that what you thought was something appealing, something worthy of your effort and your attention, has turned out to have behind it all kinds of excess baggage. It's like the story of Jake. Jake was struggling through Grand Central Station in New York City with two huge and obviously heavy suitcases when a stranger walked up to him and asked, hey, have you got the time? Jake sighed, put down his suitcases and glanced at his wrists. It's a quarter to six, he said. Hey, that's a pretty fancy watch you've got, exclaimed the stranger. Jake brightened a little. Yeah, it's not bad. Check this out. And he showed the man a time zone display, not just for every time zone in the world, but for the 86 largest cities. Jake hit a few buttons, and from somewhere on the watch, a voice said in a very Texas accent, the time is 11 till 6. (laughs) A few more buttons in the same voice said something in Japanese. Jake continued, I've put in regional accents for every city. The stranger notices that the display is unbelievably high quality, and the voice is astounding. He is struck dumb with admiration, not believing what he's seeing and hearing. Well, that's not all, Jake says. He pushes a few more buttons, and a tiny but very high-resolution map of New York City appears on the display. The flashing dot shows our location by satellite positioning, explains Jake to the stranger. Jake then says, view, receive 10, and the display changes to show eastern New York State. The stranger blurts out, I want to buy this watch. Oh no, it's not ready for sale yet. I'm still working out the bugs, said Jake, the inventor. But look at this, and he proceeds to demonstrate that the watch is also a very good little FM radio receiver with a digital tuner, a sonar device that can measure distances up to 125 meters, a pager with thermal paper printout, and most impressive of all, the capacity for voice recordings of up to 300 standard size books. Though I only have 32 of my favorites in there so far, says Jake with a twinkle in his eye. I've got to have this watch, said the stranger. No, you don't understand. It's not ready. I'll give you $1,000 for it. No, 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 no. I've already spent more than that on it myself, says Jake. I'll give you $5,000 for it. But it's just not. I'll give you $15,000 for it. And the stranger pulled out his checkbook. Jake stops to think. He's only put about 8500 into materials and development, and with 15000 he can make another one and have it ready for the stores in only six months. The stranger frantically finishes writing the check and waves it in front of him. Here it is, ready to hand to you here and now. $15,000, take it or leave it, Jake. Jake abruptly makes his decision. Okay, he says, okay, okay, and peels off the watch. They make the exchange, and the stranger starts happily away across the crowded lobby of Grand Central Station. Hey, wait a minute, cries Jake after the stranger, who turns around warily. Jake points to the two huge heavy suitcases he'd been trying to wrestle through the train station and yells, don't forget your batteries. (laughs) And isn't that exactly the way sin is sometimes? We think we're getting something incredible, something like we've never seen before. And we find out once we bite the bait that it's got all kinds of excess baggage with it. And that's why we've got to look up and say, Lord, restore me. I didn't count on this. Restore me. I didn't know that all of these things were going to happen to me for my sin. And God says, I'll restore you. 
But Ephraim not only prays for restoration, but Ephraim is instructed by God to learn from his mistakes. You know, folks, to fail, to walk away from God, to experience some spiritual problems and not learn from them is to repeat them again. This is why God said to them, set up signposts, make landmarks on the way in which you went. Now, what did that mean? What in the world was God telling them to do? A signpost or a landmark was a stone marker set up beside the road. It was put there for memory as a reminder of where they went wrong, the places they went in the wrong direction. That landmark was a reminder. In other words, here's what God was saying. I don't want you to ever forget what you did. Now, I don't want you living there. I don't want you condemning yourself, but I want you to learn from your mistakes. I don't want you to be doomed to repeat them. Learn from your mistakes. What lured you away? What took you down? What made you stumble? Mark the spot so you don't stumble over the same thing again. You don't want to go around the mountain twice or thrice or four times or five. God was saying literally make a landmark. Now, of course, in our day we can't do that, but I'll tell you what we can do. We can make a landmark in our memory. We can look at what we did, look at what lured us away, look at what the situation was, wherein we stumbled, and we can mark it. Say, okay, here's what did it. Here's how it got me. Here's how it pulled me away. Here's how it succeeded against me. This is how I walked away from God. This is the mistake I made in that relationship. Here's how I fell into drugs. Here's how alcohol got a grip on me. Here's how pornography weaved its way into my life. Here's the mistakes that I made. And while you don't live in the condemnation, you don't live in whipping yourself and beating yourself, there's a landmark in your mind and you remember it. Was it the pull of other things that replaced God that took you down? Mark it on the highway of your memory. Was it an old habit that rose up and got control that snared you? Set up a signpost of remembrance. Was it falling prey to an offense that you didn't handle well, that you took out of church and back into the world? Mark it on the road as you return to the Lord so that you'll remember it well. You know, somebody described insanity this way. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over, hoping for a different result. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, hoping for a different result. Hoping that this time it doesn't bring the same consequence, but it always does. God is saying, as you return and restoration is taking place in your life, look at what took you down and learn from your mistakes. Learn from your mistakes. And finally, he says to Ephraim, set your heart toward the highway. And I love this one. I love this verse. Because here's what God is saying. Set your heart toward the way that leads to life. Set your heart back to that old road, the road of righteousness, the narrow road, the road you were walking on before somehow, some way, you step off of it. Set your heart towards the highway, not any highway, but the highway. Jesus said there's two roads in life. He said there is the broad road that leads to destruction and that most people go down that road. 
And he said there's the narrow road, the restricted road, the constricted road of obedience and repentance and obeying God, walking with God, and it leads to life. He said, long for it. Desire it. Set your heart on getting everything back that you lost. Get back on that road. If you've been off of it a year, five years, ten years, get back on that road. Set your heart on returning. The prodigal son said these words, I will return to my father. I will return. He had made up his mind. No matter what stood in his way, he was going back. No matter how long it took, he was going back. Even if he had to be as one of the father's hired servants, he was still going back. I will return. And that's what we've got to say. Because God is a restoring God. And if we're going to experience his restoration, there is this hope. Return to the road of righteousness. Return to the road of life. Just get back on that road. And you'll find yourself experiencing restoration. Jeremiah prophesied and said these words, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. The narrow path that leads to life, the good old road, the road that most of the world doesn't prefer and that's why most of the world is dying. That road where you prayed and delighted in it. That road where you soaked up the Word of God, waking up in the morning, reading it, feeding on it. That road you obeyed the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God. That road. That road where you worshiped in the beauty of holiness. You were there every time the church doors opened and you worshiped with the saints of God. That road. That highway that brought rest to your soul. Set your heart towards it, Jeremiah said. You see, Ephraim prayed, restore me. And then God sent his prophet and said, all right, here's how you experience restoration. So there was a hope. This is the diamond of hope for your darkest days. That even when you have failed, walked away, gotten off the path, God can restore you. God will restore you. And God says, just return to the road. Return to the road. Go ahead, head for that prayer closet. Shut the door. Turn off the TV. Close the People magazine. Get your Bible out. Take the phone off the hook. Put your cell phone somewhere else and get alone with God. Confess your sin to Him. Just say, Lord, I need to come back to you. I used to be red hot for you, and now at best I'm lukewarm, maybe even cold. I've somehow fallen prey to another God, to a habit, to something that has taken me away. And is there any hope? And God says, there is this diamond of hope. For your darkest day, you can be restored because I am a God who restores. The backslider prayed, leaning on God's grace, learned from his mistakes, and set his heart on the path of life, and that brought rest to his soul. Where are you right now as you listen to this? I can tell you, friend, I know exactly what you're experiencing. It's a painful thing to realize you've gotten away from God. It's a painful thing to know that you thought you were so solid and perhaps the enemy found a chink in the armor and now you're humbled and you feel ashamed. There is a diamond of hope. There is a diamond of hope for your dark day. You can be forgiven no matter how bad it is, how strong or severe the consequences. God can turn it around. 
You'll see it happening. You get right with him first. You return. You begin walking the way you know you should. And you'll see that every day, God's mercy just peels back a little bit more of the pain. God's grace takes you one step further down the road of restoration. People's hearts towards you begin to change. What looked impossible becomes possible. God will move heaven and move earth. He'll bring mountains down, valleys up. He'll make a way where there's no way for the person who says, God, forgive me. I want to be restored. Restoration is a diamond of hope shining and glittering in your darkest hour. I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for our listeners. I pray for everyone here and for all of our listeners. I pray that you will bless them. I pray particularly, Lord, for those who have gotten away from God, that you will draw them with cords of love. Let them know that there is hope, even in failure, hope even in the presence of severe consequences, and they can be restored. Thank you, Lord, for that diamond of hope for our darkest day. In Jesus' name, amen.